Friday, on Friday night, I had the opportunity to hear uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer give a message at the IFI banquet, and in the course of his uh, message, he gave a really strong call for us to stand firm in our faith and not bow when we are pressured to compromise. He said that we need to expect persecution to increase, and we need to prepare for that. That was the point of his message, and that was the point of uh, the message that he gave in Florida to a, a conference for pastors. He wanted to help prepare them to suffer for the faith and to prepare their congregations to suffer for the faith. And I thought to myself as he was speaking, he's doing what Peter did. He's doing exactly what Peter was doing for the churches. He, who, he wrote to, to encourage and equip the saints who were suffering for their faith so that they might persevere faithfully. We here see the exact same need to prepare at GFC, and that's why we chose to go through the book of First Peter as a church, so that we might be encouraged and equipped to persevere faithfully, come what may. So turn with me in your Bibles to, to 1 Peter chapter 4. This morning we're going to finish up the, the text that we've been working through the last couple weeks. As a reminder, Peter tells the Christians spread out in churches across five different uh, Roman provinces that the end of all things is at hand. And so we've said that we must live in light of Jesus's return. And in this text, he gives four main applications. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Love one another earnestly. Show one another hospitality. And today we're looking at the fourth application. Use your gifts to serve one another. So follow along as I read our text, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're just focusing in on verses 10 and 11 today, and the message for us is this. Steward your gifts for the good of the church and the glory of God. Steward your gifts for the good of the church and the glory of God. Use your gifts, your spiritual gifts, to serve one another, to build up the church, and to bring glory to God. We're going to see three truths to that end this morning. First, steward your gifts to serve one another for the good of the church. We see this in verse 10. Look there again with me. Peter writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, when we look at this verse, we see several things uh, about spiritual gifts. First, we see that each one of us has received at least one spiritual gift. Every single Christian in every single one of these churches that he is writing to, Peter assumes, as each one of you has received a gift, 
God wants you to use that gift to serve one another. So we see, second, that the purpose of these spiritual gifts is to build up the church. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, they're given for the common good. He says repeatedly in chapter 14, they're useful for building up the church. We saw the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4. The purpose of spiritual gifts is building up the church. They're not for benefiting ourselves. They're not for exalting ourselves, but for building up the church. Now, if we put these two things together, we can define a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is any talent or ability which is given and empowered by the Holy Spirit for ministry in order to build up the church. So we could translate serve one another as minister to one another. The gifts of God's grace vary, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, It is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Third, we learn that each one of us is called to be a good steward of God's varied grace, of the gifts that God has entrusted to us. God doesn't give us gifts and then say, go ahead, do whatever you want with them. No, he expects us to use them in his service in the way that he intends for them to be used. The the main focus of verse 10 is our responsibility to faithfully steward the gifts that God has given to us. Now, what's a steward? On the parable of the talents, Jesus compares uh, the kingdom to a master who is going away and he he gives... uh, he gives some of his property, he calls his servants, he gives a little bit of each of, to each of them uh, of his property, and he expects them to use that, to steward that faithfully in his service the way that he intends. When he returns, he expects that they will have used the talents that he's given to them to grow his property. It's this picture of using our gifts to expand the kingdom in service to Christ. And each one of them is a, a steward. Each one is responsible to manage the master's property or possessions faithfully, to use it the way the master intends. That's what a steward does, just like Joseph did for Potiphar as his steward, and then later again for Pharaoh as his steward. In the same way, our gifts belong to God, and we're God's steward. God expects us to use those gifts faithfully the way he intends to build up the church and to bring glory to him. Masters expect their stewards to be faithful, to, to be trustworthy. I was going over this with, with our kids uh, last night, and Titus was like, I don't know if I would trust him. I don't know if I would trust the steward. And that's exactly the point. The point of the steward is, is they must be trustworthy. They must be found faithful. Which is why when the master comes back, he he calls each one of his servants to himself, and he asks what they did with the talents, the things that he gave them. And if they were faithful, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You know, one day God's going to have that conversation with each one of us. We're each going to be called to account for what we did with the gifts that he has given us. And every true believer will faithfully use their gifts to advance God's kingdom and will be rewarded for that. 
when you use your gifts to serve each other, you are being a good steward. Now, you cannot control how God has gifted you. You do have control if and how the gifts that God has given you are used. So are you stewarding your gifts faithfully, not abusing them for selfish gain on the one hand, or ignoring them through neglect on the other hand, like the the servant who buried his talent in the ground? Good stewards will not hide their gifts or neglect their gifts, but use them to serve others for the good of the church and the glory of God. Now, it's important to, to point out here what's implied. No individual Christian has every spiritual gift. So when you go to the New Testament and you read these, these lists of different spiritual gifts, no Christian can read the lists and be like, oh yeah, I got every one of those. And at the same time, there is no spiritual gift that every Christian has. Not every Christian has the gift of leadership or the gift of teaching or the gift of tongues or whatever gift you're talking about. The point is that no Christian can say, I don't need other Christians. See, God distributes his gifts, and that means you need the church, and the church needs you. They need your gifts, and you need theirs. God chooses to bestow various gifts so that each one of us contributes a part to the whole. Greg, suppose I asked you uh, to make a cake this morning. How well do you think you'd get on with that task? Probably not very good. Not too well. You're missing a few things, right? If we were going to make a cake today, we would need flour, sugar, baking powder, cocoa powder, water, oil, vanilla, and we'd need a bowl. That's amazing. And all these people just happen to be here with all of these ingredients. You guys could come stand right down in front by that little desk. No, it's no accident that they have these things. I gave each one of them the ingredient that they have in their hands. And I told them we're going to make a cake during the service. I called them to the task and I provided the opportunity. Like our spiritual gifts are given to us by God. And he calls us to the task of building the church. And he gives us the opportunity to use our gifts to serve each other. I'm glad that none of you chose to stay in your seats and bury your talent. Because we need every one of these ingredients, right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put the bowl down. I want you to go ahead and and add all of your, each one of you add your ingredients to the bowl. Go ahead, do that right now. But don't, don't mix it just yet. I want you to take what you have been given and add it to the bowl. Now, each one of them has a part to play in this. But together, these individual ingredients are going to become something that is greater than the sum of the parts. Oil, that's... Yep. <laughs> now, did we get them all in? Are all, all, all of them are in, in there? All right. Now, thank you for being so thorough. 
Now, you're each going to take a turn mixing these ingredients together now. There's, wait, wait. Are you looking in there like you're about to do this task, right? Does anyone have any problems with sticking their hands in there and mixing it up? <laughs> you're missing something, right? I, I'm the one who gave you these ingredients, and I'm the one who called you to this task, and I'm the one who gave you this opportunity. It seems right, I guess, that I should give you the ability to mix that, right? So right in that desk right there, you will find my whisk. That will give you the ability to mix those ingredients together. So go ahead, take a turn, each of you, and, and, and just mix that together a little bit. Mix it up. We're making cake here. Now, of course, you could have done it with your own hands in your own strength, but that wouldn't have been very effective, and it would have been pretty messy at the same time. When I first asked if we could make a cake this morning, Greg said, no, I don't think so. That task seemed impossible. But you remember from last week when we looked at the bricks, what is impossible alone is possible together in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, great. You guys can stop mixing. All right, now when you mix all these ingredients together, what do you get? What do you get? Who said cake? <laughs> I love it. Somebody, somebody started talking, and then when I looked, they were like, not me, not me, don't. <laughs> it's not cake yet, right? You got it right. It's batter. It's batter. Now, what was that? Yes. What do we need to turn this into cake? Yeah, we need heat. We need heat to take this and turn it into cake. Sometimes it takes heat to bring individual Christians together, to form them into maturity. What's the heat? The heat is the trials of our faith the opposition to our faith, that's the heat. And God, God means to use that heat to mature us in the faith, to unite us in the faith so that we will persevere faithfully. Now, the devil has his own plans for that heat. He wants to use that heat to divide us, to keep us from maturity. But God wants to use that heat to bring us together, to bring us to maturity. You guys can go sit down. Thank you so much. Give them a round of applause. Good sports. How does God use the heat? I, I want to read James 1. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God wants to use the heat that we go through, not just individually, but as a body, to bring us together as one, to bring us to maturity in faith. How, how does us, as Christians, as the body, serving one another with our gifts, how does that help us to face opposition to our faith? 
and remind you of what we read from Ephesians chapter 4, because I think this tells us the answer. Paul says in Ephesians 4, there's one body and one spirit, 4-4, and grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts, these spiritual gifts, 4-7. And those gifts were given so that we would reach maturity in the faith, the, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, Ephesians 4-13. Why? Why do we have these gifts that we use in service to one another? Why is it so important that we reach maturity? Verse 14 tells us, so that, this is the reason, so that we might no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, 4.14. Do you see the connection between God giving the church gifts to use to build up the church and the church remaining steadfast under pressure, under opposition. Do you see the connection? Do, do, do you remember we talked about how the culture, the world tries to press mold us, tries to press us to conform into the ways of the world, to adopt the way that they lived. Do you remember we talked about that? The pressure on us from the culture, how do we resist that? How do we stand firm? When the culture presses in, we need to be mature so that we won't be blown about by every wind of doctrine, by lies, by deceit, by empty philosophy, by human tradition, by all of these things, by temptations, by the schemes of the evil one and the, the people of the world around us. That's why God has gifted us, not just to build up the church, but to make the church into a, a battlement so that the church would be the pillar and buttress of the truth as it was meant to be. Serving not each other with our gifts is how we reach maturity in Christ, and that is how we remain steadfast in Christ together as a church. If we're going to stand and not bow when that heat comes, we have got to remain intimately connected to one another, using our gifts to serve one another so that we can build one another up to maturity so that we won't bow, we won't crumble, we will stand, we will remain steadfast. Do you see? And the point is we need each other. Isolation weakens the church. It weakens the individual for sure, but it also weakens the church as a whole. No man or woman is the church unto themselves. You need the church and the church needs you. You see, God uses the fact that we must have mutual encouragement, mutual support from our brothers and sisters to bring us together, to unite us as one in fellowship. That's what enables us to endure. Now, there are many ways to use your gifts to serve one another and build the church. Serving with your gifts begins right at home. Husbands serving wives, wives serving husbands, siblings, brothers and sisters serving each other, kids serving your parents, parents serving your kids, right? There are all these different ways that you can serve, but it goes beyond that, right? We, we don't have a building, and it takes a lot of work to pull off a service here on a Sunday morning. 
And speaking honestly, it's been a challenge to get people who are willing to serve. Like right now, we need people who are willing to help with facility cleanup and facility close. That's not glamorous work. It is not glamorous service, but it is serving one another in the body as a blessing to them. But serving here on Sunday morning, that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to serving. Like we said last week, most of the ministry, most of the serving that happens one to another in the body doesn't happen here on Sunday morning. It happens outside of Sunday morning. It happens in people's homes. It happens as needs arise and we step up to meet those needs, bringing people meals and and helping people move and going to encourage people and going over to pray for people. There's all this ministry that is happening outside of the church. We need people facilitating equip groups and discipleship groups and mentoring young people. And there are so many ways to use your gifts for ministry. I want you to ask the question this morning, how am I using my gifts to serve my brothers and sisters at GFC? But we also, as pastors, want you to pray about how God wants you to use your gifts. God calls pastors to equip the saints for the works of ministry, Ephesians 4.11. At GFC, we as pastors want to equip you to do the ministry that God is calling you to do. We want to come alongside you and support you and equip you and encourage you to do that ministry that God has called you to, that God has gifted you for. So come and talk to us. As God lays things on your heart, we want to support you. Now, how do we do all this ministry to one another? How do we do that? We do it with the strength that God provides. That's point number two. Serve one another by the strength God supplies. We see this in verse 11a. Look there with me. Peter says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength God supplies. We serve by the strength that God supplies. That's true of every spiritual gift. When Paul talks about spiritual gifts, he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, there are many gifts. Peter's talking about God's varied grace. So maybe it's a little confusing then to see that he only lists two of them. These are broad categories, These are two groupings. He lumps them together into two broad categories, speaking and serving. Whoever speaks would include teaching, preaching, the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, words of exhortation, words of encouragement, evangelism, and so on. Gifts of serving would include things like giving or contributing, mercy, Miracles, gifts of healing, plural. Gifts of administration, plural. Gifts of leadership, plural. Gifts of helping, plural. Those are all plural because there's more than one kind of administration and leadership and helping and service and healing. Those are plural in the New Testament. There's all these different gifts, and Peter puts them into two categories. And both types of gifts are used by relying on God. Speaking gifts by relying on God's word. Serving gifts by relying on God's strength. So you see this list. There is so many ways, so many gifts, but also so many different ways that those gifts can be used to serve one another. 
Whoever speaks is supposed to speak as one who speaks the oracles of God or as one who speaks the words of God. In other words, if you have a speaking gift, when you speak, when you use that gift, you have to speak according to God's word. You rely on God's word, not your word. His wisdom, not your own. This eliminates human invention. There's no room for that. It's easy to think that we can come and we can help someone with our own wisdom. But this isn't talking about good, our, our own good ideas or good advice. This is about God's word. If you have a speaking gift, it has to be according to scripture, and rightly so, because the power is not in our words, it's in God's word. Now, this doesn't mean that everything that you have to say has to be a direct quote from scripture. <laughs> this also is not saying that what you say is scripture. What it's saying is, is that what you say has to be based on, supported by, grounded in, faithful to the scriptures. That's a great reminder for all of those with speaking gifts to be careful to do it according to God's word. Be faithful to his truth, faithful to his gospel. We have to rely on God's word. That's precisely what the reformers like Martin Luther did. In fact, that's what the primary battle was about. Did you guys think that you guys were going to get out of here without a reference to the Reformation? It's, it's Reformation Day, and it's Sunday. Not a chance. <laughs> this is what Martin Luther did and all the reformers. What I'm sharing today comes from Pillars of Grace by Steve Lawson. See, at the time of the Reformation, the, the scriptures were inaccessible to people, inaccessible to the common person, but even inaccessible to many priests. And therefore... Spiritual ignorance was widespread, and the gospel was perverted and distorted. It was covered over. So, so at this time, church tradition has trumped scripture in practice, if not in principle. And it's into this situation that the reformers come, who have a deep love for God's truth and for the church. The, the reformers didn't come and, and start something new. They uncovered something that was buried, long buried, under the teaching and tradition of the Catholic Church. They, they uncovered a treasure. That treasure was God's word. Now, the core doctrines of the Reformation can be summed up in these five slogans, the five solas. Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. But the, the foundation of all of that was sola scriptura, scripture alone. The Reformation was essentially a conflict over ultimate authority. Rome believed and still does that the authority of the church is found in scripture plus tradition. Scripture plus the Pope. Scripture plus church councils. But the reformers believe that scripture alone is our ultimate authority and that all other sources of authority are underneath it. It's the final arbiter of the truth. And so on this day, October 31st in 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg. And in it, he called out the abuses of the church and he questioned the church's practices. and He called out papal authority. 
which basically put a target on Luther's head. He spent the rest of his life a marked man for the truth, but he restored the pure gospel and the authority of God's word, the scriptures. The true gospel that we cannot work our way to heaven. It is a gift received by faith. It's a gift of God's grace received by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We cannot lose the glory of the gospel or the purity of the gospel. In 1522, Luther explained the success of the Reformation how, how, in, in a sermon. How do you explain the growing su- success of the Reformation? Listen to what he said. Luther said, I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever afflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. Luther was like a megaphone for God's truth. It wasn't his word. It was God's word proclaimed through him that explains the reason for the Reformation, the spread of the Reformation. It's the truth of God's word and the power of God's spirit that brought change, bringing light to dispel the darkness. Amen? That's exactly what we need today. That is exactly what we need today. Even though we have the Bible, once more, people are largely ignorant of the scriptures. Even many professing Christians and pastors are ignorant of the scriptures, like the common Christian and the priests in Luther's day. The difference is we don't have the excuse that we don't have access to them. For Luther, everything boiled down to this one question. For Luther, one question, what has God said? That's all that matters. He knew whatever we teach and preach and write and speak must be as one speaking the words of God. It all has to be according to the truth of the scriptures. We speak with the truth God supplies and we serve, as Peter says, as one who serves by the strength God supplies. It's not our strength, it's God's. Otherwise, we grow weary and burn out. God gives you the grace to serve. We see this all over the scriptures. Paul says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me, Colossians 1, 29. He tells the Philippians, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. God doesn't just give you the power to do the work. He gives you the will (laughs) to do the work. He gives it all to you. And so he says to the Thessalonians, I'm praying that God would fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified in you. He tells the Corinthians, we don't claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who makes us sufficient to be ministers. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. And my favorite, you all know it. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all 
grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It's God, it's God, it's God, it's God, it's God. It's God's power, it's God's grace, it's God's strength every step of the way. Amen, somebody. You can summarize it this way. God is going to give you everything that you need to do everything that he asks. God is going to give you everything that you need to do everything that he asks. Look, God knows, God knows that serving one another is hard work. He knows that it costs you. He knows it requires sacrifice. God knows it's tiring. God knows it's exhausting. God knows what you feel like when you feel spent. And God knows that the task he calls you to is scary because it's beyond your ability. God knows all that. And God wants you to know. He wants you to know he's going to give you everything that you need to do everything that he asks. Oh, it's glorious. That is glorious. Whether God calls you to to speak or to serve, whatever he calls you to do, whatever task he gives you, God will provide the resources to do what he asks. So rely on him. It was awesome seeing Dr. Lutzer preaching with such fire and such zeal at 80. Would that every single one of us be faithful to the very end. One question worth touching on today is how do we find out our gifts, start serving, and then look for the fruit? That's the very best way. We discover our gifts as we serve and use them. If you see fruit, that's a pretty good indication of your gifting. It's not so much see what your gifts are and then go serve. It's go serve, and then you're going to find out, you're going to see what your gifts are, right? That's number one. Number two, you can ask people what they see in you. What, what gifts do you think that I have? Parents, this is a great opportunity for you to, to help your kids learn to know what their spiritual gifts are and to raise them up faithfully. Number three, you can pray and ask God, and he will show you. Brothers and sisters, you're an instrument in God's hand. A hammer cannot pound nails without the carpenter. A spoon will not stir without the cook. So whatever part you play in the life of the church, know that you can only do what God has given you to do by relying on him. So there's no reason or room for boasting. All your abilities, all the strength, and all the opportunities to use them come from God. What right do you have to boast? All the glory belongs to him, amen? And when we savor a fine meal, we do not talk about the greatness of the spoon. We talk about the skill of the cook, amen? God demonstrates his power in you and through you for his glory. That leads to the last point briefly. You see this at the end of verse 11, do everything for the glory of the coming king. Peter says, use your gifts to serve one another, relying on God so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we serve one another to benefit the church, 
We do that to, to build the church, but the ultimate purpose is to bring glory to God. When we speak and serve, relying on God's strength and not ourselves, God's wisdom and not our own, we bring glory to God. He gets the glory because he provides the wisdom and the strength for ministry. That silences all our boasting, but it also silences all of our complaining. When we realize that what we give in service is only what God has bestowed on us for that purpose, to serve others. God's glorified through Jesus Christ because he's the head of the church and we're the body. All we do is through him and for him and for his glory. I was, um, <laughs> I was playing charades with my kids this week and um, had this little one-minute timer for the game, this little sand, sand timer. You flip it over, it's just a one-minute timer. And as I watched the sand slipping away, it made me think about how short life really is. For some of you young people, you have quite a bit of sand up at the top, Lord willing. Some of you are at midlife, and for others of you, the sand is almost gone. But in the end, none of us really has all that much sand to begin with. Time is short. Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried. He rose again and ascended to heaven. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He reigns. All glory and dominion belongs to him, and Christ is coming back again. He is our king, and he is coming back again. Live in light of his return. Live for the rest of the time for the will of God. It's God's will that you use your gifts to serve one another, to build up the church for his glory. Live for the second embrace so that when you reach heaven, Jesus holds you at arm's length and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Do everything for the glory of the coming king. Steward your gifts for the good of the church and the glory of God. These days are going to be over soon and we'll go home to be in glory with Jesus. And that truth gives us hope and gives us comfort when we feel the heat. But it's also a great challenge and reminder to us to use the time that remains well. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we praise you for giving each one of us gifts. And not just giving us gifts, but giving us the power and the strength to use those gifts. And we just pray very simply this morning, God. It's our heart's desire to be found faithful. I know each one here, including myself, wants to be faithful. And Lord, we pray and ask that you would help us to rely on you and your strength to do everything that you ask. God, help us to lean into the promise that you're going to give us everything we need to do everything that you ask. Lord, make us faithful. Make us faithful. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. We ask and pray it so that you would be glorified, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.